You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good to see everybody. It is such a joy, as always, to just be with you. And um, again, I hope and pray uh, that we as a people are just steeping ourselves in Galatians. You know, how many of you found the city guide or the reading guide? Oh, hundreds of you. I love it so much. All right, good. Yeah. Well, if you, if you didn't raise your hand, it's on our website, uh, Galatians. I, we might still have some printouts. We can do that for you. But it's just to kind of follow along. It'll give you the passage for what we're going to do in the next week. Uh, but again, there's, it's six chapters in the book. It's, a, it's fairly easy uh, to read through it. The concepts aren't as easy, uh, but it's just so good to just be steeping in it, let God's word wash over us just so good. So it's been joy to prep in this, but I, again, I hope uh, some of this isn't just brand new because we've been, we've been in it as a people group. Um, but if you're new to us, uh, we are in a series of going through the book of Galatians. Um, so it's kind of hard sometimes to like really get in the mindset and get into that this, this was a real letter written to a real people group in, in a specific time. So what we always say is the Bible's not always written directly to us, as 2023 uh, American Christians, uh, but it's, the scriptures are always written for us. We can always glean, we can always dive into it. So actually getting into what is happening in its context is super important, and then we kind of filter it through for us. So it's kind of hard to like get into that mindset, but if you can kind of think, okay, we're going to go into Galatia, we're going to go into what it meant for Paul and who he was to write this letter, what it meant to be a church in ancient Israel in ancient first century AD. Um, so if we can do that. So let me just pray to that end so we can kind of get in that mindset. If we can really get into that, I think this letter will just explode to us. So let me pray and then let's get into it. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word that has been passed down generation, 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 unchanged, which is incredible, um, is for us today. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote um, out of conviction, out of obedience, um, out of um, his own limited understanding probably of how massive this letter was going to become then for the church for all time. Um, but God, thank you for your sovereign um, power. Thank you for the, the grace and the mercy that you have for our church today, that you have given us instruction, you have given us truth. We don't have to just make it up. We can actually go to your word and be encouraged today. So we know you're with us. Thank you for this letter. Uh, thank you for this time. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So recap, kind of as we started last week in our series, Paul is writing this letter, not just to, if you read Galatians, it's not just to a specific people group. It's actually an area. It's called the area of Galatia. And there are many different areas in Galatia. And he's writing to the churches that are in there. Okay, so he's writing this letter in response to hearing some disturbing news from these multiple churches that are in Galatia. The churches that he had helped start by preaching the good news that Jesus Christ was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. And not only did he die for sins once and for all on the cross, but he was resurrected to new life to usher into this new eternal kingdom of God for all who believe. And while that was accepted and believed, and these churches were a mix of Jews and Gentiles, while that was accepted and believed, it was met with resistance because a lot of the Jews still adhered to the law 
as their main expression of their inclusion into this family of God. Many Jews were having a tough time reconciling their rich history with the law and its practices, and then Jesus Christ fulfilling the law. They were struggling with belief that Jesus was the actual Messiah who fulfilled the need to live under the law, so that now the people could live in this unique expression of what it meant to follow God in freedom, not living under these laws. And also that that truth could also be for Gentiles, not just for the Jews to be finally released from the law, but for Gentiles to be welcomed into this family of God. And that was a scandalous idea, right? Maybe the Gentiles could have a part to play. They could be welcomed to the table and we'll like give them something to do, right? But for, for Paul to be writing that the Gentiles who are in Christ could now be considered full-fledged children of Abraham. Like, that's tough to swallow. That's, that's tough for a lot of Jews to handle. So these churches in Galatia are struggling with what they've heard from Paul and what they believe. But now these other influences are coming in and saying, don't listen to Paul. He's crazy. Like, this guy is nuts. And in order to really follow God, you have to still follow A, B, C, right? Eat, be circumcised, eat kosher food. Uh, you have to do these practices, this kind of thing, right? Now, the question that I had in kind of prepping this was, why would this be a temptation for the Galatia churches? Like, why, why would this even be a temptation for them? Why couldn't they just be like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, like, we're going to follow the gospel that we, that we first were preached. Why would they care what these Jewish Christians thought they should do? And for one, they're just plain influential, right? Why do we care about anything anybody says, right? Because it's human nature, right? There's influences, and, and, and why we want to be inspired at some levels by people. So we hear something that sounds right, we want to go towards that, right? But the, the Jews, they've always been the people of God. It's sort of it sort of made sense that for anyone to enter into that faith, then they would need to look like the Jews. But for another point, this whole area of Galatia was a Roman province. So part of Roman law was that they had to also worship and have in their religion that Rome's royalty was part of this kind of deity thing. So they had to make sacrifices and worship to Rome. However, the Jews were given exemption to worship their God, Yahweh, even though they were in a Roman province. So what about now God-fearing Gentiles? They're in this Roman province. The Jews are getting exemption to worship their Yahweh and not the Roman gods or the Roman royalty. Gentiles who believed in God and the revealed Son of Jesus being the king of this kingdom it's, there's a temptation to say, well, if I look like a Jew, if I do the things the Jewish people do, then I am also exempt from Roman, and therefore I would be following God. You can kind of see the temptation there, like, okay, well, that sounds a lot better, and now I know at least that I'd be following God. And it was tempting, therefore, to look a lot like the Jews, look like the Jews, act like the Jews, do what the Jews were doing, and this would grant them this immunity from worshiping Rome. However, many of the Jews were troubled by this, right? They were putting the Gentiles through the ringer to maybe have a spot at the table, but not as kin. They still couldn't quite accept them in. Paul's original gospel to them 
was that now all are welcomed into the family of God as equals, if you're in Christ, without having to look like the old law, for the new law was written on their hearts in the Spirit of God through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that right there was just, that was the scandal. That was really hard for them. So this begs the question, what we're going to get into today. Is Paul just a crazy person who can't stop talking about Jesus, but is wrong in how God's people should act? Right? Is this gospel he keeps talking about something he made up, or something he was brainwashed into, or something that was just given to him? How can we trust that what Paul is saying is truth? The Galatian churches were asking this. We can ask this. It's okay. And that's what's so crazy about our passage today. So Paul addresses all of this. So let's start in verse 11. Because he knows this stuff. He's heard this stuff. Remember, he's writing this letter in response to some of these accusations. So verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So testimonies today and especially in the ancient world were of utmost importance in testing if something was truth or not, right? Today, there's much technology to prove something is true without a verbal or written testimony. You can do like fingerprint, DNA testings. There's lots of things we can say, no, we know this is to be true. Right? But, and they, of course, had technology back in this day, but first-hand accounts and testimonies were given full legal weight in the first-century world. So Paul, knowing they're doubting his legitimacy to his claims in Jesus, goes to the greatest asset that actually we all have in common, and that is his own story. Well, let me just tell you my story. Let me just tell you what Jesus did in and through me and we'll see where that goes. So Paul, much of today is Paul giving his story, giving his testimony. And we're going to go back and forth because a lot of what Paul brings up, the readers of this letter would have known, but a lot of us sometimes don't know, and we have to go into the story of Acts to kind of go back and forth, okay? So we'll be flipping back and forth in Acts. Don't worry, it's not too scary. Well, we're going back and forth between Acts and Galatians, okay? So he starts out his testimony. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Okay, so he's starting out with this, right? Now, again, much of what we know is in Acts. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts 22 and keep your finger there. We'll get there in a second. The audience that Paul has written to obviously had heard. He uh, heard of him. You ju- he just said, you have heard my story. You've heard my name, right? And in Acts, Paul gives a couple claims about himself that they would have known, but maybe it'd be new to us. So I'm going to say a few of them. Some of the highlights in Acts 22.3, Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Okay, so we learned that in Acts. Now, real quick, Paul points to his hereditary acceptance as a Jew. Okay, not an outsider, not an outsider, but a hereditary as a Jew. Plus, 
He educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Okay, so we, we, you know, understanding first century uh, Judaism with their rabbis and who you studied under is kind of similar to like how we would say where you went to school. Like, oh, I have a master's from, and then whatever you say kind of is your level of prestige, you know, what you learn, that kind of thing. So name dropping Gamaliel to us might be like, cool, who's that guy, right? But to them was like, oh my heavens, like this is the man, right? So let me real quick, Gamaliel, He's only mentioned twice in the Bible, once here by Paul, and then once in Acts 5, when the Jewish council, if you go to Acts 5 and read it, it's a great story, the Jewish council wanted to actually kill Peter and the apostles for talking so much about Jesus, they actually couldn't silence. They kept telling him, stop talking about Jesus, stop talking about Jesus, and eventually it's like, we're just going to kill you. So they were so mad at him, but Gamaliel has this brilliant moment. And it says he's respected among the whole council. All the Jewish people like respect this guy. So he stands up and he says basically, no, don't, don't do that. Um, and he recounts for them numerous occasions where people have thought that they were following Messiah. They'd be like, well, this guy rose up and 500 people followed him, but then he died and the, it went away. Everyone lost the vision. Then this guy rose up, everyone followed him, and then he died and, and it fell away. And he has this brilliant line in Acts 5.38, where he says, so, so he's talking to his fellow council members that want to destroy the apostles for what they're doing. He says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. It was incredible, like such a powerful moment. And then in the story, they all just relent and they kind of like, okay, fine. So Gamaliel was one of the most prominent rabbis when he trained Paul, then Saul. And to be at the feet of Gamaliel meant he was a disciple. He was a direct disciple of Gamaliel. So Paul is already building this incredible resume here. And then a few chapters later, Acts 23, he says, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. So Paul is Jew, Jewish by heritage. He grew up, was zealous for strict Jewish law, educated under one of the great rabbis, and was a Pharisee leader, the keepers of traditions and law. Okay, this man, Paul, Saul at the time, could have literally written the book on how to keep the law, could have literally written the book on Judaism, and yet Jesus changed him. Jesus met him. Back to Galatians, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So this may be new information to us, but as Paul is writing this letter to people who have at least heard about him, and in Acts chapter 8 and 9, everyone who was a part of persecuting the church or being persecuted had heard of this young man, Saul, who was trained under Gamaliel, who had grown up in this way, was zealous for the law, and he was hunting Christians. This was a feared name. If you heard Saul is coming, you are hiding 
right? He got permission from the Jewish, the Jewish high priest to travel to Damascus, to go into the synagogues, to hunt down more Christians. And this is where, on his way there, is where he had his crazy interaction with Jesus. And hopefully you went right out last week, but Acts chapter 9 is his conversion story, and it's unreal. Everything changed for Saul. Right? He did go to Damascus, but he was blinded by Jesus. He's blinded by Jesus. He actually went into the home of a Christian, of a Christ follower, who, by the way, didn't see his opportunity to like, get rid of Saul. Like He helped him when he went into his home. And a few days later, Paul goes in, Saul goes into synagogues and starts preaching about Jesus. Right? He, but he's saying here, I didn't go back to Jerusalem to talk to anyone who knew this Jesus so I could make sense of it, of this heart change that I was feeling. He didn't even go back to Jerusalem to speak to his contemporaries and maybe come up with a new plan. Maybe, guys, we shouldn't be pursuing the Christian church. Maybe we shouldn't be throwing these people in jail or executing them. Instead, he goes to Arabia, and then at some point circles back to Damascus. Like, he actually, like, disappears. He has this incredible conversion story, and then he's gone. He has, he has these incredible few days in Damascus where he preaches this gospel of this Jesus that he just persecuted people for preaching, and then he's gone. And then verse 18 he just throws this out in a letter, and then he's like, and then after three years, I went back to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained in for 15 days. Three years have gone by. Three years. Saul, the zealous Christian hater, has this incredible interaction with Jesus. People know who he is. People are scared of this guy. He has a quick, crazy few days in Damascus, and then he's gone for three years, and we're not really told about it. Like, we just are assuming he's growing, he's learning, he's preaching about his revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's fascinating to think through the OG apostles, the disciples of Jesus who were here with him on earth for around three years, right? We know that that Jesus' adult ministry started uh, and was for about three years before his death. Like walking with Jesus, learning from him, listening to his, te- to his teachings, and then they were sent to continue the work. And it's, it just so happens that Paul has this salvation-esque interaction with Jesus and then implies that he is then discipled as a missionary by Jesus, not the apostles, not Jerusalem, right, but by Jesus in the same way for the same amount of time. So three years after his conversion, he travels back now to the start of it all, to Jerusalem, to learn from and fellowship with Cephas, who was Peter, arguably the most notable apostle. So we see this in Acts 9, verse 26. And when he, being Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So mysteriously, this guy who was hunting Christians disappears for three years and then comes back as like, hey, I'm one of you. Like, you'd be a little bit like, uh, I don't think so. But if you keep reading Acts chapter 9, Peter, he wasn't around for Paul, but Paul meets this guy Barnabas. And then he's introduced to some of the apostles. But then Paul starts preaching boldly in the name of Jesus over and over and over again. They're seeing this power work in and through Paul, in verse 31 of Acts 9, says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, 
it multiplied. It's incredible. Some incredible ministry is happening out of this guy that they had heard had just disappeared, and now he's back preaching this good news, and the church is at peace and is thriving and is growing. And here in verse 27 is where we get one of these classic Bible contradictions. And I just, I love these because they're so like juicy and it's good to, to, to talk about it. And just to be frank, just real quick, this is just my own little tangent. Um, I, I really couldn't care less about when like details don't match up. It's like, wait, was it 20,000 or 18,000? You know, that kind of thing. So real quick, just because we're studying it and I think it's important to say, um, in Acts 9, verse 27, when Paul is giving his story, he says uh, in Acts 9.27, and Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. But then if you noticed in our letter in Galatians in verse 19, when he's telling his story, and as we are doing the history lesson of it, he says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then he has to clarify, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. So hold on, wait a minute, which one is it? Did Barnabas take you to the apostles, or did you not see any of the apostles, right? So because we're studying it, let's talk about it. Um, two things I'd like to point out. First, the account of Acts and the letter to the Galatians have two very different purposes. Acts is telling the narrative, as best as the author Luke can, how God sovereignly establishes his now diverse, Jesus-believing, multi-ethnic church, and how the apostles share and teach the gospel first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, obeying the Great Commission by Jesus himself. Galatians is a letter written from Paul to churches established in specific areas, addressing specific issues that come up. Paul is not trying to give a history lesson. I'm actually giving a history lesson, but an account of why they can trust him. The second point is that Paul is addressing certain charges that were made against him, defending his own narrative, and this is one of the key charges. One of the charges from the leaders in the church of Galatia who are trying to kind of poison the people against Paul, believe that Paul was actually a puppet from these apostles in Jerusalem. That Paul was just brainwashed, that he's being used to kind of to bring this message to the rest of the world that actually doesn't have much merit, that's actually just nonsense, that he is just this brainwashed puppet from these apostles that they don't agree with. So Paul here, he's not trying to distance himself from the apostles due to difference in belief or anything, but he's trying to prove the case that they influenced him very little. He wants to make sure that they know that I met Jesus, and this gospel and good news of Jesus was taught to me by Jesus himself, that was ministered to him by myself, and I am actually bringing that good news from the Lord himself. Not something I was indoctrinated into, but something I very much really felt and changed my life, and I'm bringing that now to you. So this was not brainwashed Paul. He's not a puppet for this cult of Jesus followers, right? This is a new man who's been changed by Jesus, discipled by Jesus, and now preaching the gospel of Jesus. So for what it's worth, if that bothers you, don't worry about those inconsistencies, but look for the purpose of each passage, right? Okay, rant over. Paul continues, verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. If you noticed earlier what he said, he actually is from Cilicia, right? Paul actually goes home. Paul, in his newfound faith and love for Jesus, goes to his home place. 
And I don't know if you were this person or if you've ever experienced someone that you knew and then they go off to college or they join the military or they do something with their life, whatever, they go away and they come back and they're like a completely different person. I don't know if you've experienced that or maybe you felt like you were that person, right? Can you imagine Paul's family, those who knew him, what he would have been like? From a very early age, as a son of a Pharisee, he would have been trained in the Torah, memorized much of it. That's the first five books of our scriptures. Like the Torah, like the Pentateuch is so full of the Torah. He memorized much of the law that we find in that. Destined for a rabbinical school, even get accepted to apprentice under Gamaliel himself. Can you imagine his parents? Like, oh, Gamaliel, incredible, right? the best of the best. And now he's home, he's back, but he's preaching Jesus of Nazareth, being God in the flesh, the perfect fulfillment of the whole law and the unifying saving grace for both Jews and Gentiles. Like quite the homecoming. I can imagine his parents are a little bit like, okay, all right, let's sit down, let's have some food. You know, mom will make the lasagna and dad'll tell you that you're off, you know. And in his letter, Paul doubles down that he was not coming as like a heralded Jerusalem apostle, but a nobody who just loved Jesus. Like none of these mainline churches in Judea even knew who he was. Like that's wild. As popular to us as Paul is, like we read Paul all the time, in this he's like, I was so unknown. They didn't even know who I was, and yet the power of God was still providing peace and growth for these churches. So Paul is firmly establishing that anything good they hear from him, anything that is found in the gospel of Jesus is because it is true and it is from God himself, not because he was brainwashed into it. And what kept happening over and over and over again, not because of anyone particularly sending him or his amazing speaking skills or anything he brought as a gift, the power was God's redemptive work in and through Paul's life. Verse 23 and 24, which I think are the the keys to this passage today. They only were hearing it said, and, and this is in Galatians, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Like that is the testimony Again, how wild to think Paul is is so popular to the church today. But Paul's goal was never to be a celebrity pastor or some larger-than-life personality or influencer. In fact, if he was chasing fame, he would have stayed as a Pharisee. Like, his resume was incredible. He literally could have been the next top leader, right? And as we saw in his upbringing, he was set up to be the next greatest rabbi that everyone would follow. But then he met Jesus, and it changed everything. Changed his trajectory, changed his perspective, changed his goals. Jesus' radical, transforming grace and mercy from Paul is what people see, and that is why they glorify God. Why? Because it's a feel-good story? right? It is an incredible story. We passed over some stuff, but they glorified God because if someone like Paul, someone like Paul who was persecuting the church, trying to destroy it, and now is preaching that gospel, if someone like Paul could be saved by Jesus, then so could I. 
so could I. I have hope for that. So could those for whom we've given up on. So could the people, you know how many people looked at Saul and be like, that guy, like how could God ever get a hold of his life? How could God ever change that type of person? The people that seem like they are all lost forever. Those who seem like their hatred of God is only getting stronger. Those who can't forgive God for what he took away from them. Those who can't forget what it felt like when they felt like God never showed up. Right? We know these people. We are some of these people. And when I read Paul's story, I don't know about you, but I'm not impressed by Paul and his history and all the knowledge he knows. He sounds like a guy. <laughs> he just sounds like a guy that believes something and acted on his conviction. I hope we're all like that. But I'm deeply impressed by the person that God made him to be and then his obedience to that call. Paul's not perfect by any means, but his showing up, arms open, saying, hey, look, look at what God is doing in and through me. I'm a redeemed man from my ways to a better way. And Paul, he's not denouncing Judaism or calling any of the practices phony. He's just saying, don't put all of your faith in those practices for salvation. It is God alone who justifies you. It is God's power in and through you that is that moment where you realize this is, this is God. This is not me. This is not my doing. This is not power. This is the one and only God. And it's only in the belief in Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of those things, of those practices, of that law that justifies you. And then you can go ham on whatever practices you want that remind you of that. But the truth is it's Christ and Christ alone that saves. So thought experiment for us. Think of all the ways that you in your life could kind of resume your way to God, right? Acts of service, your prayer reading, your Bible reading, church attendance, your kindness, goodness, forgiveness, it, it, the list goes on, right? None of those actually save you, right? Belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and submitting to him as ruler of the whole universe is salvation, like that's salvation, and then if that compels us, if that is something that we're saying, yes, I bow my knee to that, then there's a litany of ways that we can live towards him. There's a litany of, of good things, good works that we can now live into that. And as we're reading it, it's just crazy to me when we're reading about a church in an ancient world that's just trying to figure out what does it look like to be Christian? What does it look like to be a people of God? What does it look like to actually live out this salvation? right? It's not just an issue for them. It's the same for us today, right? We're reading about an ancient people group struggling with what we today are struggling with, right? And our faith, and Paul's trying to remind us, our faith is what saves us, not our works, but our faith is nothing without now being changed and living a different life. No one knew more about following rules and living moralistically under a law than Paul, right? And we're learning from his story and upbringing. This guy could have kept the law better than anyone in the whole. If it was about keeping the law, he would have done it. He would have been the best and written the book on it. But if he's saying it's faith by grace alone, that's saying something. And it's a struggle, right? We should wrestle with this, right? Christian living should reflect 
Christian belief, so then what it means to be Christian is of utmost importance then to what it means to live like a Christian. And you guys know, if, you, if we went out and we asked 10 people what it means to be Christian, you're going to get 13 different answers, right? I don't know about the math there, but somehow it works, right? But for Paul, his main case for Christian living is that last line, right? Verse 23 and 24, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me right? It's God's redemption of me, and that work in and through me brings glory back to God. That's the Christian life, that surrendering to that, right? To bring glory to God through the redemptive work of God in our lives, and that is what is so freeing. It's God's work in us that we rest and rely on. And then freely live, knowing it's His Word written on our hearts. It's His Spirit He's given to us. And it's His Son work on the cross that justifies us. And if that doesn't just compel you and spur you on to like, okay, God, then what can I do? How can I live for you? There's some, there's some incredible works of acts we could do. There's some incredible rhythms of grace we can live into. And just think about your story. Like here, Paul, we, we talked last week about Paul writing the Galatians. This is an identity letter. This is getting back to the core of the identity. Think about your story. Everyone in here is super unique, right? Everyone is very unique in your story. But God, through Paul to the church in Galatia, is restoring the people. If you're a Gentile, you didn't grow up with this. You, went, you were probably believed in something totally different. You were on a totally different trajectory, and you found Jesus, and now you are being brought in. If you're a Jewish person and you have grown up in the faith, you grew up with this stuff, you know the law to the T, and yet Jesus is saying, no, it's by grace you've been saved. I'm bringing you in. Where is that middle ground? And what he does, like, like he, Paul's kind of bringing up this concept that for a lot of us in here, I mean, we're all, a lot of us are technically Gentiles, some Jews, but at the same time, there's these two conceptual people groups, those who have grown up with this thing, and know this thing well, and those who were saved later in life, or out of something, whatever, and did not, and it's the same thing, meeting in the middle. Where is that grace of Jesus Christ? Where is God restoring your life? Where did it happen? Where did it begin? There's usually a salvation kind of moment, but then there's a edification, there's a, there's a salvation thing that keeps going, that's happening. You're being restored, restoreed. Right? That is part of our testimony. Where is your story actually a witness to others that would bring God glory? Like Paul writing to this church saying, they heard about me and then they heard how God changed my life. Just to think about us, like, do people even know your faith? Is it embarrassment? And it seems like, because it seems like it's foolishness to those around you or coworkers or your family and you feel silly, Right? Take time to really think through your story this week. Write it down. If you've never taken a time to just like write down your testimony, it's powerful. It's huge. Just to think through what God has actually done in my life. What is the redemptive, restorative work God has done that now is being lived out through me as I surrender myself to that? Remember, this was a, Paul was a real person who wrote a real letter to a real people. But God included this in canon of Scripture so we can humbly come to getting our identity from God, from the Lord himself. And whether you think your story matters or not, 
it was worth Christ on the cross. That's what the Son of God said. You are worth it on the cross. It was worth the price of redeeming you to see how God, in your time, can now work restoratively in and through you. And if we believe that, then our response is surrender and worship. It's such a freeing feeling to say, God, I give you myself. I'm not perfect. I got lots of things. I got a past. I got lots of hurts. I got lots of questions. But that's why we're here, right? That's why we're a community. That's why we're in group and doing life together. But our responses in worship, and that can start here today, worshiping together. Worshiping together is a diverse people, people group that has come together. We all have our ups and downs, but we believe that Jesus is restoring Albany through restoring its people. And we get to worship today here, worship tonight in our homes, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, etc. Wherever you find yourself, it can always be in worship because God's not done with us. God is constantly restoring us, redeeming us. And it's incredible to live in the freedom of that. So let's respond to that today, okay? Let's respond to that, to the encouragement today as Paul wrote this letter to a people group, but for us today, to as God has given us identity in himself. And there's freedom that we get to live into that and to surrender to that. And it's more than we could ever do for ourselves. So let's respond to that today. You know how we do it, singing and praying together individually. God has opened up those communications to us, which is incredible. Giving of our earthly treasures for the common good of the, the community, which is amazing. And then, of course, going to the table, remembering that, again, whether you think, I, I grew up as a, as a Christian, I grew up in the church, and I was always like, man, my story is boring. Like, my story is just so, like, I went to church, it's cool, whatever. You know, and I, every time I went to, to, like, youth camps and stuff, they always had some, like, rock bottom drug addict like come by like Jesus saved me and I'm like that's what I want and it's like wait no that's not what you want you know but like whether you think your story is boring or not like it is so incredible you're a human being you're given life and choices and chances and if you think your story is boring praise God that you didn't have to have a lot of the hurts that some people do the regrets the pain right and if your story is messy and you're like oh I'm way too messy Praise God. God is like, I want you. I want to do ministry through you. You are special to me. It's incredible. So when we go to the tables, remember the cross. Jesus wasn't playing favorites. He said, I love the world. I love all my people. So we go to the cross. We can be thankful. We can sit under his saving grace. Let me pray and let's go there today.